Section two of the National Geographic Magazine, volume eight, March eighteen ninety seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Storms and Weather Forecasts by Professor Willis J. Moore. Part two. We will now examine the accompanying charts and, after a brief review of the Weather Bureau River Service, will endeavor to trace the inception and progression of the different classes of storms. The stations from which the Weather Bureau issues and rapidly distributes forecasts and flood warnings are shown on Chart 1. Small radial lines are drawn to each central station from upriver points in various watersheds. From these points, daily telegraphic measurements of rainfall and temperature are sent to their respective centers. In addition to observations from many of the full meteorological stations of the Bureau not shown on this chart. With our many thousands of miles of navigable rivers flowing through one of the most extensive and fruitful regions of the world, daily forecasts of the height of water in the various sections of each river are of enormous benefit to navigation, and the warnings issued when the precipitation is so heavy as to indicate the gathering, during the next two or three days, of flood volumes in the main streams are often worth many millions to navigators and to those having movable property on low grounds contiguous to the streams. The feasibility of making accurate forecasts as to the height of water several days in advance at any station of the system is no longer questioned. The forecaster at each river center considers the rainfall, the temperature, the melting of snow, if there be any, the area and slope of the watershed, and the permeability of the soil. From a study of floods in former years, he knows the time necessary for the flow of the water from the tributaries to the main stream, and the time required for the passage of the flood crests from one city to another. The forecasts are, of course, empirically made, but still they are sufficiently accurate to possess a great value to the people of the river districts. Some idea of the vast destruction of property due to floods may be gathered from the statement that the floods of 1881 and 1882 caused a loss of not less than $15 million to the property interests of the Ohio and Mississippi Valleys. There was also a loss of 138 lives. In 1884, the region about Cincinnati alone suffered a loss of over $10 million in property. Chart number two shows a winter storm central in Iowa at 8 a.m. December 15, 1893. The word low marks the storm center. It is the one place in all the United States where the barometer reading is the lowest. The heavy black lines, oval and nearly concentric around the low, show the gradation of air pressure as it increases quite uniformly in all directions from the storm center outward. The arrows fly with the wind and, as will be seen, are almost without exception moving toward the low or storm center, clearly demonstrating the effect of gravity in causing the air to flow from the several regions marked high, where the air is abnormally heavy, toward the low, where the air is lighter. As the velocity of water flowing down an inclined plane depends both on the slope of the plane and the roughness of its surface, so the velocity of the wind as it blows along the surface of the earth towards the storm center depends on the amount of the depression of the barometer at the center and the resistance offered by surfaces of varying degrees of roughness. The small figures placed at the end of the arrows indicate high wind velocities. At Chicago, where the wind is blowing at the rate of 40 miles per hour, the anemometer is 270 feet high, 
while at minneapolis where the instrument is so low as to be in the stratum whose velocity is restricted by the resistance encountered in flowing over forests to the northward the rate is not great enough to be marked by a special figure now picture in your mind the fact that all the air inside the isobar heavy black line marked thirty point two as it moves inward is rotating about the low in a direction contrary to the movement of the hands of a watch and you have a very fair conception of an immense atmospheric eddy have you ever watched the placid water of a deep running brook and observed that where it encountered a projecting crag little eddies formed and went spinning down the stream well our storms are simply great eddies in the air which are carried along by the general easterly movement of the atmosphere in the middle latitudes of the northern hemisphere but they are not deep eddies as was once supposed the low marks the centre of an atmospheric eddy of vast horizontal extent as compared with its thickness or extension in a vertical direction thus a storm condition extends from washington to denver in a horizontal direction and yet extends upward but four or five miles the whole disk of whirling air four or five miles thick and fifteen hundred miles in diameter is called a cyclone or a cyclonic system it is important that a proper conception of this fundamental idea be had since the weather sequences experienced from day to day depend almost wholly on the movement of these travelling eddies cyclones or areas of low pressure the large figures in the four corners of the cyclone show the average temperature of each quadrant the greatest difference is between the southeast and the northwest sections this is due in part to the fact that in the southeast quadrant the air is drawn northward from warmer latitudes and in the northwest quadrant the air is drawn southward from colder latitudes the shaded area shows the region of rain or snowfall during the preceding twelve hours unfortunately for the science of forecasting precipitation does not show that relation to the configuration of the isobars that temperature wind velocity and wind direction do chart three constructed from observations taken twelve hours later shows that the storm or cyclonic center as indicated by the word low has moved from central iowa since eight a m and is now at eight p m central over the southern point of lake michigan the shaded areas show that precipitation has occurred during the past twelve hours in nearly the entire region covered by the cyclone chart four twelve hours later shows that the precipitation has been general throughout the entire area swept by the cyclonic whirl chart five is quite dissimilar in the information it conveys to any other of the charts accompanying this paper from july twenty eighth to august tenth inclusive eighteen ninety six there was a remarkable hot wave in the united states extending from the rocky mountains to the atlantic ocean the mortality from this cause amounted to many thousands the hottest region as shown by the dark shading was in the middle mississippi and ohio valleys and the lake region where the temperature averaged from six to nine degrees above the normal for each one of the fourteen days during the same period strange as it may seem the temperature over the vast rocky mountain plateau was markedly below the normal and the cold was not due to altitude for often we find these conditions geographically reversed the weather charts showing the movements of highs and lows during the period of this abnormal heat are not shown in this paper chart five is simply intended to show geographically the area and degree of the heat for some unexplained reason there come in summer periods of almost absolute stagnation in the drift of the highs and lows 
at such times if a high rest over the southeastern part of the country and a low over the northern rocky mountain region there will result what is popularly known as a warm wave for the air on account of its slightly greater specific gravity will slowly and steadily flow from the southeast where the pressure is greater toward the northwest where the pressure is less and receiving constant accretions of heat from the hot radiating surface of the earth without any whirls or eddies to mix the upper and lower strata will finally attain a temperature almost unbearable to animal life this superheated condition of the lower stratum in which we live continues until the low pressure area in the northwest begins to actively gyrate as an eddy and move eastward mixing in its course strata of unequal temperatures and precipitating the cool and welcome thunder showers it is a pertinent inquiry whether such adjacent areas of abnormal heat and abnormal cold can possibly be due to cosmic influences the only cosmic influences that meteorology is sure of are the radiation of heat from the sun to the earth and the reception by space of the heat that is radiated back by the earth and atmosphere in the long run these two balance each other it is inconceivable that solar isolation passing outward from the sun along true radial lines could fall so unequally upon the united states as to cause excessive heat on one side and extreme cold on the other it follows from the preceding that we must be slow to ascribe any of the local peculiarities that are observed in terrestrial weather to cosmic influences weather variations irregular annual and diurnal all probably have their causes in the earth's surface or in the earth's atmosphere and depend wholly on the mechanics of the latter the problem however is so complex that it would be hazardous to undertake to explain the great differences in temperature shown on this map of departures for july and august eighteen ninety six think of the atmosphere as a mass of air about fifty miles deep whose upper surface maintains nearly the same configuration and temperature and is almost entirely without motion relative to the earth's surface the solar radiation and the terrestrial radiation penetrate this upper region without appreciable absorption and the ascending and descending currents of air rarely or never disturb this region but cease before they reach it our weather and climate depend on the changes going on in the middle and lower atmospheres and among these changes that which affect our surface temperatures most is the motion of the atmosphere the great contrast in temperature between two regions lying close together as shown by chart five is therefore probably not due to any special cosmic influence but to the flow of air as determined by the distribution of air pressure day by day chart six shows the beginning of a cold wave in the northwest on the morning of january seventh eighteen eighty six observe that the heavy black isobar passing through montana is marked thirty point eight while the isobar curving through southern texas is marked twenty nine point eight a difference of one inch in the air pressure between montana and texas the dotted isothermal line in montana is marked thirty degrees below zero while the isotherm on the texas coast indicates a temperature of fifty degrees chart seven is auxiliary to chart six and by varying degrees of shading shows the fall of temperature during the preceding twenty-four hours attendant on the high-pressure area of the northwest a considerable area covered by the darkest shade indicates a fall of forty degrees in temperature during the past twenty-four hours the people of the gulf states with a morning temperature of forty to fifty degrees knew nothing of the great volume of extremely cold air to the northwest of them 
but from the distribution of air pressure sown by chart six the forecaster anticipated that the very cold air of the northwestern states would on account of its great weight be forced southward to the gulf and eastward to the atlantic ocean or more accurately speaking that the conditions causing the cold in the northwest would drift southward and eastward he therefore issues the proper warning to the threatened districts now turn to charts eight and nine of the following morning and it will be seen from the latter that the cold wave has covered the entire mississippi valley the low shown on the preceding chart as being central in southern texas has moved northeastward to alabama and on chart eight appears as a fully developed storm the difference in pressure between the central isobar of the low and the central isobar of the high is now one point four inches precipitation has occurred as shown by the dark shading special attention is called to the large figures placed in the four quarters of the low pressure area about three hundred miles from the center they indicate the average temperatures of their respective quadrants and strikingly illustrate how great may be the difference in temperature under cyclonic influence between regions separated by but short distances it is certain that as the low or cyclonic whirl moves toward the northeast along the track usually followed by storms in this locality the cold of the northwest quadrant by the action of the horizontally whirling disk of air will be thrown southeastward toward florida lowering the temperature in the orange groves to below the freezing point chart ten shows that the center of the cyclone or low pressure system has moved during the preceding twenty four hours northeast to the coast of new jersey with greatly increased energy the barometer at the center showing the abnormally low reading of twenty eight point seven inches cold northwest winds as shown by the arrows are now blowing systematically from the high pressure area of the northwestern states southeast of florida and the south atlantic coast the dotted isotherm of thirty degrees passes through the northern part of florida where on the day before the temperature was over fifty degrees the cyclonic gyration of this storm extends one thousand miles inland and probably to an equal distance out to sea heavy snow or rain has fallen throughout the area under its influence seriously impeding railroad travel and a gale of hurricane force has prevailed on the coast but when on the day preceding the storm was central in alabama all these conditions were foreseen and the necessary warnings issued chart eleven shows the temperature changes caused by the rapid movement of the storm center charts twelve and thirteen show the conditions twenty-four hours later the storm center has been three days in passing from southern texas to the mouth of the st lawrence the temperature has fallen still lower on the atlantic coast and in florida as a result of uninterrupted northwest winds and no material rise in temperature can occur until the high pressure of the northwest is replaced by a low pressure and convectional currents are drawn toward the northwest instead of being forced southward from that region to summarize in regard to cold waves it may be said that when the charts indicate the formation of a body of dense cold air in the northwest as shown by the barometer readings the skilled forecaster is on the alert he calls for special observations every four hours from the stations within and directly in advance of the cold area and as soon as he becomes convinced that the cold wave will sweep across the country with its attendant damage to property destruction to animal life and discomfort to humanity the well-arranged system of disseminating warnings is brought into action and by telegraph telephone flags bulletins maps and other agencies the people in every city town and hamlet and even in farming settlements 
are usually notified of the advancing cold twelve to twenty-four or perhaps even thirty-six hours before it reaches them charts fourteen and fifteen show the cyclonic systems prevailing at eight p m on the days of the louisville and st louis tornadoes several tornadoes occurred on each day their tracks are shown by rows of crosses in the southeast quadrants of each cyclone especially do i wish to emphasize the distinction between the cyclonic storm and the tornado the press and nine out of ten people who should know better use these terms as synonymous the cyclone shown on chart fourteen which is fairly typical of all cyclones is a horizontally revolving disk of air covering the whole united states from the atlantic ocean westward to and including the mississippi valley with the air currents from all parts flowing spirally inward toward the center while the tornado is a revolving mass of air only five hundred to one thousand yards in diameter and is simply an incident of the cyclone nearly always occurring in its southeast quadrant the cyclone may cause moderate or high winds through a vast expanse of territory while the tornado with a rotary motion almost unmeasurable always leaves a trail of death and destruction in an area infinitesimal in comparison to the area covered by the cyclone the tornado is the most violent of all storms and is more frequent in the central valleys of the united states than elsewhere it has characteristics which distinguish it from the thunderstorm viz a pendant funnel-shaped cloud and a violent rotary motion in a direction contrary to the movements of the hands of a watch together with a violent updraft in the center the three conditions essential to the formation of tornadoes are clearly as follows one a cyclone or area of low pressure the center of which is to the north or northwest with a barometric pressure not necessarily much below the normal two a temperature of about seventy degrees on the morning map three a great humidity and four that the time of year be march fifteenth to june fifteenth these conditions may and often do exist separately one or two of them may be found coexisting but so long as the third is absent tornadic formation is not likely to occur i am satisfied that the number of these storms is not increasing that the breaking of the virgin soil the planting or cutting away of forests the drainage of land surfaces by tiles the stringing of thousands of miles of wire or the laying of iron or steel rails have not materially altered the climatic conditions or contributed to the frequency or intensity of tornadoes as well might one by the casting of a pebble attempt to dam the mighty waters of the majestic mississippi as attempt the modification or restriction by the feeble efforts of man of those tremendous forces of nature which surround our earth and control our storms and climate to be sure as towns become more numerous and population becomes more dense greater destruction will ensue from the same number of storms it is not possible with our present knowledge of the mechanism of storms to forewarn the exact cities and towns that will be visited by tornadoes without alarming some towns that will wholly escape injury but we know that tornadoes are almost entirely confined to the southeastern quadrant of the cyclone and that when the thermal hygrometric and other conditions are favorable the spot three hundred to five hundred miles southeast from the cyclonic center is in the greatest danger chart fifteen shows the conditions on the evening of the st louis tornado two hours after its occurrence the abnormal heat humidity and other conditions of the rather small and weak cyclonic system shown by the morning chart were sufficient to justify the weather bureau in distributing at ten a m danger warnings throughout the whole of missouri and eastern kansas i am informed that the schools of st louis were dismissed at once on the receipt of the warning forecast 
what is urgently needed is a system by which weather signals may be sent simultaneously from telephone headquarters to all subscribers by a stroke of a telegraph key then a whole city could be warned in a minute's time the writer visited st louis the day after the storm and was especially impressed with the fact that hundreds of buildings were burst outward at their upper stories indicating that they were at the time of their destruction near the center of the rotating mass of air where centrifugal force instantly had reduced the air pressure on the outside to such an extent that the expansion of the air in the upper stories of the houses whose windows and doors were closed had produced an explosion of the building in one case all the four walls of the upper story of a house were thrown outward leaving the lower story intact and the roof resting in proper position one story lower than in the original building again great structures seem to have been crushed over or taken up bodily and scattered in all directions the fact that this tornado travelled with destructive force through several miles of brick buildings and yet left the city with greater force than it possessed on entering it illustrates the futility of planting force to the southwest of a city for the purpose of protection as some have advocated it is probable that the strongest trees would offer but little more resistance to this terrific force than would so many blades of grass whenever the forecast contains the statement that conditions are favorable for severe local storms it is well for the residents of a city receiving such a forecast to observe carefully the formation of portentous clouds and be ready to seek places of safety in the cellars of frame buildings we have no record of any person having been killed in the cellar of a frame building chart sixteen shows a west india hurricane just making its advent on the florida coast a number of stations in the west indies report to washington by cable whenever hurricanes pass over their region sometimes a hurricane composed of a rapidly revolving eddy of air of only two or three hundred miles in diameter passes between the observation stations on the islands of the west indies without getting near enough to affect their instruments then if it move rapidly northwest toward our gulf coast it may reach our seaboard unannounced fortunately such cases are rare and in case the storm does reach any ports unexpectedly danger signals will be displayed in advance of its coming throughout the remainder of its course until it leaves our shores at times hurricanes remain several days in the gulf of mexico and the only indication we have of their proximity is a strong suction drawing the air briskly over some of our coast stations toward the centre of the gulf again a heavy ocean swell may be caused by the friction of the rapidly gyrating air on the surface of the water and when the hurricane has a slow progressive movement this swell may be propagated outward from the centre of the storm faster than the storm is moving and reach the coast several hours before either the barometer or the wind movement gives any indication of the coming storm the tracks of west india hurricanes are always in the form of a parabola these storms come from the southeast but on reaching the latitude of our gulf coast recurve to the northeast along or off our coastline an examination of the auxiliary chart on the adjoining page shows that the air pressure in the region of the storm has decreased from point ten to point thirty of an inch during the past twelve hours and the little bars on the arrows shown on chart sixteen from norfolk southward indicate that the forecast official at washington has ordered up the storm signals in anticipation that the storm will move up the coast and increase in energy chart eighteen twelve hours later shows that his warnings were timely as the storm center has moved slowly northward to jacksonville with greatly increased energy 
the barometer at the center reading 29.1 inches, which is about 0.9 of an inch under the normal air pressure. The auxiliary chart shows that the air pressure has decreased more rapidly during the past 12 hours than during the similar period next preceding. The most potent force in accelerating the motion of the eddy or hurricane was the vast amount of heat energy liberated by condensation in the whirling mass. Danger signals have been carried northward to Norfolk, and ports north of the storm center have been warned that the dangerous winds will come from the northeast. I wish to make plain that the storm coming from the southwest causes northeast winds to flow in at its front. On the Georgia and Florida coasts, the signals have indicated that the wind will blow from the northwest for a few hours as the air whirls in behind the receding storm center. It will now be seen how it is possible for storms to progress against the wind. In thunderstorms, this rule does not hold, as there is a horizontal rolling of the atmosphere caused by cold and heavy air from above breaking through into a light and superheated stratum next to the earth. This rolling motion throws forward the cool air in the direction which the cloud is moving. Chart 20 shows a slight aberration in the northeast course of the storm, which places the center inland so that the whole eddy can be charted. West India hurricanes are cyclonic in character, but on account of the fact that the diameter of the whirling eddy is much less and the velocity of rotation much greater than in the average cyclone, it is customary to designate them as hurricanes. In other words, the hurricane is a cyclone of small area but of powerful vertical action, and consequently of great destructive force. To get a rough idea of the difference between storms, we might classify them according to the diameter of the revolving mass of air under their influence as follows. Cyclones, 1,000 to 2,000 miles, hurricanes, 200 to 500 miles, and tornadoes, one-half mile to one mile. Then, if a great quantity of heat energy is liberated by profuse condensation of aqueous vapor near the storm centers, we might imagine their vortical action and their destructive force to increase as their diameters of rotation decrease. Charts 20 to 25 show the progress, in 12-hour intervals, of the hurricane northeastward to New England. It will probably leave the American continent at Nova Scotia and in three or four days cross the Atlantic and make its appearance on the northwest coast of Europe. Twenty-five years ago, mariners depended on their own weather lore to warn them of coming storms. Then, although the number of boats plying the seas was much less than it is now, every severe storm that swept across them left death and destruction in its wake, and for days afterward the dead were cast up by the subsiding waters, and the shores were lined with wreckage. Happily, this is not now the case. The angry waters and the howling winds vent their fury the one upon the other, while the great mass of shipping, so long the prey of the winds and waves, rides safely at anchor in convenient harbors. The United States has the most extensive weather service in the world, and its enormous practical utility is now universally recognized. Careful estimates based on reports from interested parties indicate that cold wave signals, effectively displayed in advance of one severe cold wave sweeping across our country, result in a saving of over $3.5 million, while responsible marine representatives declare that each West India hurricane passing up the Atlantic seaboard would destroy not less than $2 million worth of property and many lives if danger signals were not displayed well in advance of its coming. End of section 2